Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 278. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're honored to have with us the inspirational and internationally acclaimed <laughs> founder of the Superhero Project, Lisa Collins. Oh, thank you, Barney. That's so kind of you. Yes. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> it may be In overstating it slightly, but oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you, it is internationally because I've listened to some previous previous interviews you've been on, and you've been working all around the world, not li- physically all around the world, but the the superhero project has has touched a lot of countries already so far. In such a, it's only been around for four years technically. We started um, in 2017. I started okay. doing this just as like a volunteer project and it just kept growing and growing and growing and then in 2020 I was approached by an angel donor who said hey I'd like to see what you could do if you have a little support uh, but I you need to either become a nonprofit or you need to find a fiscal sponsor and so that really pushed me probably a little bit earlier than I was expecting to try and turn it into something and so that was at the end of 2020 we became a nonprofit, and then by the end of by the middle of 2021 it was really clear that if we wanted to try and make a go of it it was going to take more than my part-time hours you know squeezing it in after work and on the weekends and so I put a proposal into the board to do it full-time and in December of 2021 I started doing superhero project all day long every day so when I discovered you I was completely enthralled by this concept. So do you want to give people a little bit of background of what the superhero project is? So we use the power of art as a tool to heal and empower youth impacted by serious illnesses, disabilities, um, complex mental health and medical needs, or really who have experienced trauma because of adverse childhood experiences. And so we start by interviewing kids about who they are, what they're all about, what's important to them, what they love to do. And we're really looking at the whole child beyond the diagnosis. And that part of the interview is so important because all too often, kids who have been marginalized for one or the other of the reasons I mentioned, they really don't get the chance to talk about who they are. And for parents whose kids are living with lifelong disabilities, they're always being asked to explain you know, what the problems are, what the deficiencies are, what needs to be worked on, what needs to be fixed. And we really flip that on its head and ask them to um, to tell that, tell us about their child's strengths, to tell them what makes them proud of their kids, what they love best about their kids and how their kids are contributing to the world. Then we ask, you know, we sort of set it up and we say, okay, so this is what's important to you. How do you wanna make a difference in the world? Like, how do you wanna help the earth, help people? What would you like to do? And they describe, they that becomes their superhero mission. And then we take them through a series of questions to conceptualize exactly what they wanna look like, exactly what kind of tools and powers they have, all that stuff. And as you can see from all of the images uh, in our galleries that they are wide ranging, what kids ask for, what they request. And so once we have all of those details, then each child is matched with one of our artists. Um, We have a 
what we call our League of Extraordinary Artists, which are amazing people from all over the world. Six continents. We have artists, uh, over 550 artists so far have helped us um, from six continents. We're waiting for someone from Antarctica to, um, to jump up and volunteer. That hasn't happened yet. And they get photos of the kids. They get all the interview details so they get to know who the kids are. And then they get their list, essentially their art direction from the kiddo. And they go to work and create a poster of the child as their superhero. They send it back to us. We print it out. And, uh, and then we send them to the families. And what they've told us really goes beyond anything I could have imagined in terms of the impact. Um, the sort of the four biggest areas that families really tell us, um, that parents really tell us is one is that it increases self-esteem when the kids see themselves depicted so powerfully and so beautifully and see their differences um, really highlighted and, and celebrated in a way that they aren't often in real life. Um, it really provides tools to increase and foster resilience that when kids are facing a tough challenge that you know, their parents can say, okay, which of your superpowers are you going to call on now to help you um, face this obstacle, to help you, you know, get through this difficult time? Families talk about a feeling of connection that participation brings, both between the artists and the families, which is kind of a lovely little pen pal relationship. Although they don't ever get to meet, um, we encourage the artists to send notes along with the poster, and the families often send pictures of the kids with their posters and a note back to the artist. And sometimes they'll start following each other on social media. It's very sweet. Um, but it's also a way for them to have uh, build connections with their communities where you know families who are feeling isolated because their kids either have some kind of serious illness that's kept them in the hospital and so they're feeling really isolated or if parents have a child with um, significant disabilities and they feel like people don't understand or don't know how to approach them all of that kind of stuff that the posters really are a way for the families to say look this is how we see our kids there's nothing to be afraid of we're not we don't, you know, you don't need to pity us. Just look at this brave, bold, happy, exciting, um, wonderfully creative kid. And that's what we see. And that's who we love. And then the last thing is that they tell us is just that participating in the superhero project really brings a feeling of hope, knowing that there are people around the world who care about them and who want to do something to, uh, kind for them. And that's really how all of this started was just me wanting to put a little bit of kindness out into the world. And I never imagined when I started that it would, how the ripple effect would, you know, would go forward and that we'd end up with this amazing project that's touched literally thousands of families from around the world, not just the families who participated, but everybody who's seen our exhibits, who have participated in our events, all of those kinds of things. So, so how, how important, as you mentioned before, is like, so you're, you, you, you're dealing with uh, a, a few different populations. One is the, is, is the, is the, is the folks that, that the artists create these, these posters for and these stories for another stakeholder would be the community in general. And how important is, how do you see yourself as a superhero project providing some level of education and advocacy as well. 
a couple different ways. I mean, one is obviously with our exhibits, with our general exhibits that have been places because it's a way to really change how people think about disabilities. We, mm. I did a workshop with an organization here in, uh, in the Cleveland area called Boys Hope, Girls Hope, and they work with at-risk youth. And we talked about the importance of, of kids, of teenagers, you know, seeing these images. And I asked them why they thought it was, I asked first if they thought it was important. And when they said yes, I said, well, why is that? And we had a couple of them write down, you know, they like wrote down for us. And one said, I think this exhibit is important because it can change people's minds about how they see people with disabilities or it can, and another one wrote something about how it helps you um, see beyond someone's disabilities. And so that's mm. one thing is changing their sort of changing the perceptions, um, the presumed limitations of kids. The other way, um, and probably most powerfully is with one of our, well, with our, um, our touring exhibit, it's called Look at Me, Recognition and Representation in a New Pantheon of Superheroes. And this wow. is a collection of posters created by Black, Latinx, Native American, Arab American, and Asian American youth. And it's framed with a beautiful essay um, by a local artist activist named Amanda King. And it talks about what representational justice is and the critical importance for, for young people to see themselves reflected in art and in culture. And we just did um, um, we did a project with a local group in the central neighborhood of Cleveland with a community center where we went in first with the exhibit that we have, our, our touring exhibit, and I did a workshop with the kids in their after-school program. And then we took time and I did interviews with those kids. Um, and even if I don't know a medical diagnosis, someone living in an inner urban city in, in poverty, they're dealing with all kinds of trauma, with community violence, with um, a lack of education, a lack of, uh, with the health disparities that we see, with the environmental injustices that we see. And so we, I interviewed a, a bunch of them and went through the whole process with them. And now the community center has their own exhibit that's permanent and that features their youth, like the kids in that community. And mm. we asked them, you know, what do you want to do to make the world a better place? What do you want to do to make your community better? And they're beautiful. The messages, you know, the, what they picked, some are really funny. One wanted to, uh, his name is the footlong feeder because he wanted to address hunger by giving people footlong subs. And another one, uh, another one of the young men, what he really wants to do is to check people's hairlines. He wants to like, make sure that everybody looks really sharp, make sure that their haircuts are tight. Um, so we've got that, but then we also have people who wanted to clean up the community to make sure that, you know, the earth itself and the community was protected and was beautiful. Folks who wanted to stop violence, stop bullying. Um, one young one young girl wanted to protect unicorns. So she has we have a little magical stuff in there, too. But that's what makes it so wonderful. Um, and that was something that surprised me at the beginning is that I've done over 1,275, we're somewhere in the 1280s now, um, wow. interviews. 
And I would say at least 95%, if not more, of these kids, when they select a mission, it's always outward facing. It's always about helping other people. And even if they say they want to cure a disease or they want to, you know, research and raise awareness about a, a disability or something like that, they're really talking about it in the context of helping other kids and helping other families. So they don't, you know, they want to protect and prevent other families from having to go through this tough thing. It's very rare that they pick something that's specifically about them. We did have one young guy. He wanted to, his mission was to stop everybody from watching SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and I believe it was because he's not allowed to watch SpongeBob SquarePants. And I think he felt it was a little unfair. So he wanted to keep everybody from doing that. Other than that, <laughs> the missions are, are wonderful. And, uh, and just really, really fun. How does that process work? How does somebody reach out to your organization and say, hey, I have a loved one who's interested in being a part of this project? How does that work? That's basically it. We have a form on our website and families um, reach out to us. Sometimes they reach us, reach out to us with messages on Facebook or on Instagram, but most people just come through the website and we don't, um, there's no formal vetting process. We just tell them who, you know, which children are eligible. And if one of their kids is, then we'll set up an interview. Um, unfortunately, right now, the demand is so great that mm. the families who reach out to us right now are scheduling interviews at the end of January. Um, wow. We have, uh, if a child is in hospice care or has a degenerative disease, or if there's um, or if they're going through um, cancer treatment or some active treatment right now, then of course we try and we'll squeeze them in wherever we can. Um, but you know, typically families have to wait quite some time right now. Um, it's a wonderful problem to have in a way, um, but I certainly wish we could increase our capacity um, a little faster so that we can get more families through. So what is so what what's the what's the crunch? Is it finding artists or finding people to write the stories? Yeah, it's just the it's really the artists. Um, I could fit more interviews in, and when we eventually have more, at some point, someone will have to help me with the interviews. Um, that is such a special part. It's really my favorite part of the whole thing. So I haven't. And I haven't had to give it up yet. So um, I know at some point, you know, we'll need to have other people doing that as well. But the interviews are just so important. They're such an integral part of the experience. Uh, so we could do more, but we just only have so many artists lined up. And we try, we make it as easy as possible for our artists. We have um, a schedule out, you know, months in advance so they can pick an assignment date and a deadline that works for their schedules. And then on that week, on the day we pick, after I've done the interviews, you know, I try and match as best I can the style with the artists, what, with the kids' requests. I try and like figure out, you know, what style seems to be best for which artist, and then they'll get all the information. Um, our artists all are volunteers except for um, right now, except for two things. The first is that if their art is going to be used in an exhibit, then we offer an honorarium for that, an honorarium for that, because that's a second use for the art and we wanna be as respectful as we can. And then we also have a small pilot program for young and emerging artists of color and artists with disabilities, because we know that they may have faced additional barriers to um, to their careers. And while they might want to participate, perhaps they can't as a volunteer. So we offer a small um, honorarium for them as well. 
if we could, you know, offer something to everybody right now, we absolutely would. Um, that's that's a uh, like challenge or a growth goal. But right. even if we offered, you know, a hundred dollars to each artist, which of course is very small, but um, but even if we did that for every artist, that right away is adding at least thirty thousand dollars to our budget, and that's for a very small nonprofit. That's um, not something we can do right now. How's the fundraising? What's how's the fundraising work for this? So the majority of our fundraising up till now has come from um, an angel donor and from family foundations. We have applied for grants and we've been somewhat successful. It's actually, we're in a unique position because we're not diagnosis specific and because we are not geographically specific is we're falling kind of outside the parameters of a lot of traditional grant making organizations. Um, so I actually just finished a social entrepreneurship accelerator. Um, last night was the, the final pitch night and I developed um, what we decided to do was to create a program where we would reach out to institutions to have them bring us in and work with a cohort of their youth. And so the kids and the families would get the benefit, but then the organization, hospitals, schools, camps, libraries, uh, community organizations, support networks, those kinds of things, then they would get an exhibit of their kids' posters and will charge for that. And so that's my hope. Um, and last night we found out that we received $12,000 in funding nice. to help that. So that was very exciting. And uh, and so we're going to start that this summer. We'll, we'll reach out. Um, we have one like one program, one set already in uh, Los Angeles, the Animation Guild is going to um, work with us to do one with one of the children's hospitals in LA. So we have that booked for next year already. Um, and I've had, I have an interview, I had um, an interview last week with the Cleveland Clinic here and with, um, and I have one in a few weeks with Nemours Hospital, which is a big hospital um, chain in Florida. And I've worked with a lot of um, child life specialists, social workers, nurses um, from all over the country, from different children's hospitals who refer patients to us. And so my hope is that some of those will come through because it really is a unique project. And um, University Hospitals is another big hospital system here in Cleveland. And they commissioned an exhibit, all of current and former patients of their children's hospital. And the the hospital's curator, art curator, said that he got more comments about that exhibit than any other exhibit they've ever had. And part of that is because of the, the talent of the artists, of course, but a big part of that is the exuberance and the spunk and the spirit of these kids that come shining through in their posters. And we share, you know, each one has a title card with the um, with the name of the artist, of course, but also the first initial of the child and how old they are and the character story that we write based on their ideas. And so people got to read, you know, what all these kids want to do to make a difference in the world. And how, how important is that to remind kids, you know, if they're going through a critical illness and they can't go to school and they're in and out of the hospital, sometimes for two, three years, you know, they sometimes feel very removed. And so to remind them that not only are they important and they have value beyond just being a patient, you know, that they're contributing to the world. It, it really helps them put things in perspective. 
And one of the child life specialists said it, it's also a wonderful, uh, it provides wonderful insight for their caregivers to see, you know, what the kids are thinking about and where they are in terms of their, you know, how they're coping with what they're going through. When you first, when you first started doing this, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years of how have you refined the process of looking for artists and, and, and then also connecting with folks that want to have a poster made? Sure. So the very first thing I discovered is when I very first started doing it and I would go to the children's hospital and I would do interviews and then I would go home and then I would try to find artists. And I very quickly <laughs> realized that that was backwards. And I right away started doing it the other way where we have artists sign up for weeks. And then I know on this week I can do this many interviews. So that was like the first very obvious uh, lesson that I learned. Um, in terms of working with artists, the most successful and efficient way for us to reach artists is when studios um, have invited us in to do like a lunch and learn or when they've mm. sent an email on our behalf because one studio can reach, you know, dozens of artists or depending on their size, um, hundreds of artists at one time. Um, we do a lot of outreach and we were invited to go um, by Bobby Chu, who's a member of our artist advisory team. So he invited us to go to Lightbox Expo, which is a big con like a convention out in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, we've also gone to some of the Comic Cons. We did panels at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle and at mm. uh, Fan Expo, which is here in Cleveland. So we walk around and look at the booths. Our creative director right now is she's an artist as well. So she has a booth at Heroes Con. And so she'll take a spin around and drop off postcards and talk to artists. But a lot of our artists come because one artist will find out about us, however they do they'll do it, they'll fall in love with it, they'll post about it, and then a friend or two of theirs will see it and go, huh, maybe I'll do that, and then they'll post about it, and then a friend or two of theirs will, will post about it. We've had some big names, too, who have, like, people with really big followings who, um, who have participated, and that's really exciting, too. Um, Loish is, is an artist um, in Europe, and she does a lot of beautiful work, and she came in and, and spent a Saturday afternoon drawing mermaids with a, a group of our kids. Hmm. And then she posted about the experience and I think she's got over a million followers or maybe a couple million followers. I'm not sure. Yes. And so we got a lot of um, inquiries after she did that. So that's probably the artist piece of it. We also really try to reach out to a number of different communities. So we're looking for digital illustrators and those are folks in animation, in um, video game. We have a lot of uh, folks who work in video game design. We look for children's book illustrators, of course. We have some caricaturists who do more than just, you know, a party caricature, but do full full pieces. We've had some tattooists. We've had um, all different kinds of digital artists. And uh, and so the styles obviously are, are quite wide and varied and everybody brings something special to it. Um, one of my favorite posters was done by Derek Lofman, who is uh, who's a big uh, comic book guy from, uh, he's in, I think in Toronto, he's in Canada yeah. somewhere. So that's all sort of the artist piece of it. As far as the families, I started, as I said, I started by doing interviews in our local hospital in the pediatric and adolescent oncology and hematology units. 
and then started as soon as we kind of launched on social media, which is very, very small. We started getting requests from families outside of the hospital and then outside of the of the city and outside of the state. And then it just kept growing and growing. And so now we're, we've worked with families from 46 states, from eight Canadian provinces and about 20 countries total. And right, we have spent zero dollars on marketing to families. Um, and, you know, we just, they find us. Those family networks are powerful. Mm. Um, we had someone post in a group for, for kids who had received um, a Make-A-Wish trip and stayed in in Orlando, there's a place called Give Kids the World. And, and it's a place where a lot of the Make-A-Wish families stayed. And so uh, a parent very kindly and sweetly posted about their poster and what a great experience it was on a, a Facebook group of families who had been through that, um, who had stayed at Give Kids the World. And within 24 hours, we had over, I think we had 80 requests. And so I actually reached out to that mom and I said, this is so kind. We love when people share our stories, but would you mind just taking that particular post out? <laughs> because it was just overwhelming us. And we just, you know, want to try and we try to be intentional and get a variety of families, a variety of diagnosis. And of course, mm. those kids, the Make-A-Wish kids are from everywhere um, and uh, all different kinds of diagnoses. But we just, they were coming in at at, at a, um, a very fast pace. <laughs> so we, we asked her to please pull that, pull that post down. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, and I was like, no, 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 don't apologize in any other situation. We love it. We want families to share about it. We're so proud of what we do. We're so happy to um, that so many families are finding it meaningful. We just, um, they're just our only two of us. <laughs> so, so we just needed that one particular post. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, so fr from the actual, you know, thinking about the images piece is like, once it's done, you know, you know, you know, putting on your kind of like that, you know, running a nonprofit in a way is that mm -hmm. when the image is created, who then owns the image who has the rights to that image does does it belong to does it belong to the superhero project does it belong to the the, the person that it was made for or does the artist have any um has has any connections to utilizing the image and any of their other pieces so we say in in the like the design guidelines that go out what we say is that Families can use the image however they want. It belongs to the families. Um, we will, unless they specify other words, um, otherwise we'll, we can use the image, um, you know, in presentations and stuff like that, or in mm. if we get some press and they want some images to share, um, but we always make sure to credit the artist. But of course, they're also welcome to use it however they like. So I know with some of our younger artists, we see them in their portfolios and even some of our experienced artists, they just want to include that. And so of course that's fine. They share it on their social media. Um, that's fine too. The only thing that we always ask is that they never use the child's photo um, mm. and they only get the child's first name and because of, you know, for privacy reasons, um, typically we would just use a first initial and the age to identify the child. But a lot of them, um, probably at least half of the posters are just classic, like super, and then the, the kid's first name. So, you know, right. it'll be super Evie. And then we say created by E, age 10. And I think people probably can figure out that 
her name is Evie, but um, but as long as they they don't go beyond that, then uh, we're happy for the artist to continue to use it. My next question for you, Lisa, is like after you kind of create the poster and kind of create a, a, a story, do you ever have either from somebody that's seen the picture or the family or the artist who says, I want to go deeper on this because this kid came up with an amazing concept. Do you ever have anything in that sense where like this ice power and how this works with the rainbows, whatever, like, I want to know more about this. Have people actually kind of like saying like, give me the origin story where they struck by lightning or like, are there any of this happened? We haven't, I had one writer who reached out and said she wanted to create a book using some of the characters, but it, it didn't go anywhere, which was fine. It wasn't exactly what we were doing, but um, but the best thing is we have had is some kids have created stories around their superheroes. Um, and so I know with, there's one amazing young woman um, who lives in Seattle who is actually nonverbal and non-mobile, but she's cognitively typical and she uses an eye tracker and a lot of different technologies. So she comes to our Draw With The Artist sessions and she draws along with us. She also is a composer and composes music using technology, um, but she has created some graphic novels, uh, you know, the beginning of, of sort of graphic novels using her character as well. And we've had some other kids. We had probably one of the, the biggest compliments I think an artist, an artist could have is uh, one of our artists who was a, a Nickelodeon artist, actually his name is Bob, uh, uh, Rob Bandel. And he created a poster for a young guy who was going through cancer treatment and his mom wrote the most beautiful letter back after he got it. And she said, you know, um, since he got his poster, he started drawing again because he wanted to create all the villains and, you know, to sort of like yeah. extend the poster. And she said he had really stopped drawing because of his treatment. He had some neuropathy, some pain in his hands, and they were trying to encourage him to start writing and drawing again, but nothing was working until he got his poster. And that was so touching to hear. And uh, and I, I'm sure that it made Rob feel good that he was able to do that. We also have, not in a formal way, but I know that kids, um, that they find things in their posters that they didn't necessarily say, that they just intuitively integrate into their mind. So we had our first little guy in um, in the UK, his name was Ben, and he was going through cancer treatment at the time, and he had an NG tube, like, you know, from his nose going in where he would get his medication and nutrition and stuff, and he asked us to include that in the poster because that's what he had had for, like, over, you know, a year, and, um, and so we put it in, and his mom recorded the moment when they saw the poster for the first time, he and his brother's. And he pointed at it at one point and said, oh, look, my NG tube, that's where I get my energy to fly. Mm. And it wasn't something he had said in the interview. But when he saw a picture of himself flying with the NG tube, he immediately, you know, turned that into part of the story. And so that's um, that's really incredible. And that actually, um, you know, unfortunately, because of the population we work with, we know that a number of those posters, including Ben's, um, are now uh, memorial posters, that they're part of a, the legacy of the child. And so that's another way where we've heard um, from families in a way that I just never could have anticipated when I started this is families, you know, talk about how they've used the posters at memorial services, 
how they have them hanging on their walls. And they're a reminder, not just of their kid, but of the interview, you know, of the, the conversation that we that we had. And when they got to hear their kids coming up with all of these ideas and details or if the kids, you know, weren't verbal at the time when they got to share all these wonderful stories about their kids and what they love about them and, and all those kinds of things. If, if, if there's an artist out there that wants to, to, to volunteer some of their skills and times, where, where's the best place they could reach out? So on our website, on the artist tab, there's a, um, there's a link to a form to fill out. And we just ask you to either include a link to an online portfolio or, you know, website or to attach a few samples of your work right there where it says new artists, click here. Uh, and, uh, and so our creative director, Taryn Causey, she'll look at the art, make sure it seems like a good fit. And, uh, and then the next step will, that'll put you into our, our system. And then the next step is to pick, uh, is to pick the date, the assignment date and deadline that, that works for, uh, that works for them. We have some folks who want to, they find out about us, they come on the website and they sign up for the next week. And then we have other artists who are excited, but you know, they look at their calendars and they say, you know, what's going to work best is if I'm, uh, if I do this in four months from now. And so they sign up for that date and, uh, and either way, we love it. And we have another, you know, we have some artists who come in and do one poster and that's it. We have some who will regularly do one every, you know, eight or 10 months, something like that. We have others who will come in and do three or four over the course of a year or two, and then that's it. Um, it's really a mix. And then we have a few of our, um, we have, I think, three artists, either two or three artists right now that have hit 50. Um, wow. so, uh, so those are, our, those are regulars, but we have, um, but we do have a core group of, of folks who just regularly sign up kind of, you know, steadily over, over the years. Because as an executive director, your job also is to kind of, kind of push people along a little bit too. Do you ever, cause you have an extensive list of artists you've worked with in the past. Do you ever <laughs> harangue some of them? It's like, Hey, you know what? There's a, <laughs> you haven't been on a couple of years and there's a, th th this kiddo that I think you'd be perfect for. Do you ever have to have to put on your executive director hat and kind of. We yeah. have had times in the past. Absolutely. <laughs> there also are, sometimes there'll be a special case, like either, um, of course, if it's a child uh, who's in hospice care and we need it turned around quickly, but that just takes another level of, of sensitivity. And I know how tough it can be for the artist um, because we right. do, if the families let us know, then we'll let the artists know. Um, and, and that's really hard. So I wouldn't, you know, send that to a first time artist. Um, you know, we'd keep that for someone or if someone has a very specific request that I know is just perfect for somebody's style, then I might reach out to them. Um, we've had a couple of families will have one child um, done. And then a few years later, another child in the family, for whatever reason, also, you know, needs a poster, becomes eligible for a poster. And so I'll reach back out to the, to the same artist. And that way, um, they, you know, they're in a similar style. If we do have siblings, a lot of families will reach out to us and they have multiple kids who are dealing with one thing or another. And so whenever we can, I'll try to get the same artist to do like both of the posters or all three of the posters or whatever it is. Um, so that way they're in kind of the same style. The worst thing would be to have three kids with three different artists and one of them just doesn't, you know, just doesn't click or doesn't seem as, as strong as the other one or they just don't like the style. 
Mm. Occasionally that happens where the style is just not a great match for the family. And again, if they let us know, then we'll definitely pass it on to another artist um, because we want them to be happy. We want their, you know, we want it to be something that the kids feel really reflect them. So uh, it's, it's a little bit of an art just doing the matchups. You know, if there's someone whose style is like, really traditional superhero or very dark or very, you know, like super cool, then I wouldn't necessarily pair them up with like a three-year-old who wants to have a rainbow tutu and to be flying on a unicorn, you know? Um, but then again, sometimes I actually just had that experience. We had a first time artist in the UK and looking at his portfolio, you know, rainbows and, and unicorns really wouldn't jump out at me, but that was who was left at the end of the week. And so I just, I emailed him and I said, hey, Paul, listen, I've got an assignment. It's for, um, she's either three or four years old. She wants this rainbow tutu, but she also wants lightning and a crystal ball and, you know, like a few cool things too. And I said, is this, you know, do you want to do this one? If not, if you want to wait till the weekend, I can, I'll be doing more interviews so I can find someone who I think is a stronger fit. And he emailed back right away and was like, she sounds lovely. I'd be very glad to do it. And so you never know, you know, sometimes it's fun for people to do something a little outside their, their traditional wheelhouse. And right. it's my friend, Josh, the one who created our logo, Josh, Josh Thompson is his name. Um, he said, it's, you know, having a seven-year-old as your art director is like the best thing ever, the best <laughs> client ever. Because <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. And sometimes the lists of what they request are quite lengthy. So you, tell them. you don't have to include everything, but we do want them to, you know, to try and include as much as possible of, of the kids' ideas. Right. You're trying to get all 50 states. So 50 you've states, had... Yeah. You're missing Vermont, which missing this Vermont. is recorded in Vermont. So I am I am almost positive we're going to find someone from Vermont for you. <laughs> That's great. And, and the and, Dakotas is what you're waiting Dakotas, for. Too. And so it's New Mexico, okay. the Dakotas and Vermont. And we could we haven't um, you know, I haven't reached out specifically to organizations in those states, which I will do at some point. But um, but it would be great if by the end of the year we could hit all 50 states. And yes. oh, yeah. our missing provinces, if you have any Canadian viewers, we're missing New Brunswick, Nunavut, Northwest Territories, Prince Edward Island, and U and the Yukon. But other than that, we've got all of Canada. Oh, wow. Okay. Good for <laughs> yeah. you. Awesome. Yeah. So, it's been really fun. Right. And the first family from uh, Newfoundland was very exciting for me because that was where my husband and I honeymooned was in Newfoundland. So, nice. okay. uh, so I was, I was excited when, uh, when I found that, when I saw that request come through and when our Wyoming family, we just got Wyoming this week. I just did the interview. We haven't, the poster is in process right now, but I'm already counting Wyoming. Uh, but when I saw that come through, it's like, yes, Wyoming. <laughs> so Lisa, if people want to learn more about the superhero project, where's the best place they could go to? Absolutely. To our website, uh, which is superheroprojectkids.org. But you can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and all of those places are at the Superhero Kid. And so you can find a lot of images on there and the character stories are, um, if you want to read some of the fun character stories. And those we take, you know, as much as possible, right from the kids' own words and from their parents' words. So 
you know, if they say, oh, she's tough as nails, then when we're describing the superhero, that will be part of like the little paragraph that we write that this is, Mm. you know, this superhero is tough as nails. And what's fun is that the parents won't necessarily remember exactly that they said that, but those words will like really resonate with them and that it really captures, you know, that spirit and that spunk of their kids. And so that's why we try as hard as possible to, you know, put it exactly in the kids' words. And if they say, you know, that I want to, like, if their mission is to catch all the robbers and bad guys, then we'll say, like, this superhero is on a mission to catch all the robbers and bad guys. Like, so it's like just what, just how the kids said it. And I've been using kids, but I have to say that we, we work with um, teenagers as well, of course, and with um, even young adults in their early 20s who have developmental differences. You know, anyone for whom this will be meaningful, we're, we're happy to work with them. Well, Lisa, this is a, just a genuine joy. I'm so happy we're able to connect. Thank you. Me too. It's I love sharing our story. We I am always happy to answer questions, um, to talk with artists, to talk with folks who um, know someone who could use a superhero. If they have connections to hospitals or other organizations, please reach out to us. We love finding new partners and uh, and collaborating with folks from all over. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you. And, and so what are, what are some of the situations that when, when you're looking at that from the perspective of, um, I'm going to, this is, this is the best thing, but I, I'm going to timestamp this Lisa. So when I actually, when I sure. edit this, it'd be boom, boom, boom. It'd be like, wow, look at Bernie's asking. He's right on top of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we actually.